I'm John Moore, and this is Going Public on KRCU Public Radio. Today's guests are Christine Welgus, the Weather Coordination Meteorologist with the National Weather Service Office in Paducah, Kentucky, as well as the Senior Forecaster at their office, Keith Cooley. The National Weather Service Fall Severe Weather Safety and Preparedness Campaign this year runs through September 29th. This is an opportunity to increase awareness and promote preparedness of severe weather hazards during the fall season, and also to generate an increase in the level of response to watches and warnings. Late in August, I spoke with Christine and Keith about what it's like to be a meteorologist and what to be aware of as we head into the autumn season. Welcome. Thank you very much for having us. If uh, someone is not aware of what happens before all the warnings go out, you would be able to tell us about um, what exactly goes behind in the process of of sending out those warnings and knowing when and where to send those warnings out. Can you break down the process of what that looks like behind the scenes? Sure, John. Thanks again for having us on. Um, there's actually quite a bit that goes into um, issuing severe thunderstorms and warnings, uh, flash flood warnings, some of the excessive heat warnings that we're probably all tired of dealing with here recently. Um, there's there's a big group of forecasters behind the scenes and support staff there as well. There's I think there's 21 of us overall at the office. Um, the forecasters are basically looking and monitoring the weather 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, we really don't take a break from the weather because the weather doesn't take a break. Uh, We're monitoring radar, we're looking at model data that comes in, and we're just watching for these um, extreme events to occur, whether it be really large hail, you know, extreme rainfall events that we've had recently, or damaging winds, hurricanes, stuff like that. Fortunately, we don't have to worry about those much here, but they bring a lot of rain with them. Um, So we're really just monitoring a lot of data that's flowing through our office at all times. When I was a student, uh, I was able to tour the um, Paducah office. I believe at that time they had just barely started the automated voice <laughs> early, early, early AI, if you really wouldn't even call it that, almost 20 years ago, 20-plus uh, now. How have you seen things change in those 20 years as far as the technology that you use for forecasts and for the way that it was delivered? Because before that, there was someone actually on air giving those forecasts live, right? That's correct. Actually, I I wasn't actually in the weather service at the time when they were recording those. I don't know if I Christine was. I Christine was, yeah. was. I yeah. mean, it was a time I've been in for 23 years, and I remember, you know, as an intern, you grab they get the warning would come out, it would print on the printer, you grab it off the printer, you go on the radio room, you set it up, you record the message and send it out, and all that took time. So now with the automation process, the second that Keith or one of the other forecasters issues the warning, it immediately gets sent to the weather radio. So, you know, the time that's that's saved in that automation process can definitely make a difference in, in how uh, we get the message out to the public on that. So as far as, you know, forecasting, um, we get all kinds of new model data that's coming in. We've got so much model data to look at, it's almost overwhelming. Uh, you've got satellite data that can come in every minute now and that's you know remarkable to see the changes in the clouds and just the different features you can see on satellite. Radar data, I mean, even we could put the radar in this fastest mode, we can get the lowest scan every couple minutes now. Right. Um, and so that's helped us tremendously in assessing the severity of the storms and how much rain has fallen and a lot of the different things that we're looking at to be able to predict what's gonna be happening. So technology has definitely helped us to, to you know, obviously increase our, 
awareness of what's going on and, and increase that analysis and hopefully the lead time and the warnings. Yeah, recently in southeast Missouri, we've experienced some pretty severe storms. Um, people have been aware of uh, the derecho, what was it, back in 2011. Some really phenomenal events that a lot of people in the past two generations probably haven't experienced before. What's the biggest change in the way that you're able to predict? What goes into predicting a flash flood or a severe storm? As far as what we look at when we're trying to predict those sort of things, we're, we're actually analyzing the environment um, from the surface. We're looking at observations across the entire country. Um, we're also, we have several sites across the country that launch radiosons, which most people know those as weather balloons. And so that gives us an idea of what the atmosphere looks like uh, from the surface all the way up until the balloon pops. So it's, it's quite a ways up in the, the sky before that happens. Um, all of that data is then ingested into models. And those models, up, some of those update every hour. So we're taking a look at the new data and new guidance as it comes in. Um, it gives us several things to look at as far as rainfall totals that can be expected, um, the kind of instability, which is something you need to produce thunderstorms, severe thunderstorms, what the winds look like at different layers in the atmosphere, and that's known more as wind shear, if there's enough wind shear around to produce severe thunderstorms. Um, so there's there's a lot of observational data that goes into model data, which we're pouring over all the time. And I think as Christine alluded to earlier, there are lots of different models for us to look at. Um, that's sort of how we forecast it. We're just kind of analyzing the conditions of the atmosphere. And then from that point, then we move toward the smaller scale things. We're looking at the radar, trying to figure out how much is rain has fallen across the area just by the radar estimates. And we can issue our flash flood warnings based off of those. Um, there's a lot of guidance that goes into that as well. Uh, the, we have river forecast centers that give us flash flood guidance. So if we get a certain amount of rainfall in a certain period of time, uh, then we know that water is just going to run off and cause some pretty extreme flooding. Um, and then we're also looking at radar data, as Christine said. We're looking at uh, wind or velocity signatures to see what kind of winds they're producing. Um, the reflectivity that's produced, we can see if there's hail maybe mixed in, what those rainfall rates might end up actually being based on how strong the reflectivity is there as well. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we look at with radar. We could talk about it probably all day long. Yeah. So. <laughs> how do you disseminate that into something that people can the average person can understand right. <laughs> that that probably is quite a challenge isn't that it? is the biggest challenge you're talking about 20 to 25 scientists in a room trying to take something that's very scientific and very complicated process and then try to message that to the best of our ability so that people have the best tools at their disposal to make decisions um, for instance for the december 10th 21 21 tornado that went through West Kentucky, uh, we knew about a week before that was going to happen. We knew there was a signal in the data that we were looking at that it just did not look good for that day when that tornado occurred. But how do you message that to the public? You, you slowly ramp that up, um, you know, give them, hey, Friday's going to be one of those days you're going to have to watch. And then the next day comes along. We're still confident about it. Well, we're looking at strong to severe storms. The next day comes along. Okay, we could be looking at tornadoes. The next day come along. Okay, well, now we're looking at very strong tornadoes and the threat for them to be long track tornadoes. So you kind of ramp up your messaging based on the increase in confidence. You know, Keith may see something in the, in the forecast a week from now 
you know, but you're not going to go and say, hey, there's going to be an outbreak of tornadoes a week from Friday. You know what I mean? We're just not there at the state of the science to be able to, be able to predict that with that kind of accuracy. But there's something that they can look at in the future and say, we don't like this. This is something we need to keep an eye on. And then that's just something that we can gradually uh, inform the public and inform our partners at that possibility and then continue to ramp things up. And as we get the, the event clear into focus, we can provide more details on the what, the where, the when, the what's going to happen, the impacts and all of that. Whether you're dealing with a winter storm, whether you're dealing with a flooding event, whether you're dealing with a severe weather event, those all those details that people are looking for don't come into focus right away, and they come into focus over time. And so that's our messaging technique is to slowly over time give people the information they're looking for as we have it and as our confidence grows. Uh, we run fall severe weather uh, awareness and preparedness campaigns uh, last week in September is usually when we run that just to give an awareness that you know even though the temperatures are getting cooler and the leaves are changing that um, we do have a kind of a secondary severe weather season that crops up uh, in the fall months and even though it seems like the severe weather season never ends <laughs> in southeast Missouri um, it is a, a period of time that we get increasingly concerned because um, as uh, Keith mentioned, we really see a ramp up in those upper level winds. And so that's when we get a little more worried about more widespread severe weather events, including tornadoes and things of that nature. So it's one of those things where, you know, even though it's getting cooler outside and you think the seasons are changing for the better, it's never a time to let your guard down, at least in this part of the country, for severe weather. And that's something we'll be, we'll be wrapping up our messaging and graphics and things like that toward the end of next month, kind of highlighting um, that change in seasons and uh, that threat for severe weather. The main threat for tornadoes in this part of the country, if you look at the number of tornadoes per month, it's really April and May. April okay? and May. Yeah. Um, and they really dwindle off as you head into July and August. We still get them, but they're usually short-lived and very weak. Um, and then they ramp up again in the fall months where we do have, I mean, you've got a number of, of violent tornadoes that have occurred between September and December um, in this part of the country. Um, one in September I can think of in 2006 that wasn't too far north of where we're here today. Um, of course, the uh, Evansville tornado of 05 um, and the Madisonville tornado um, down in Kentucky and then of course the December 10th. So and then obviously, you know, you think even further back than that, the worst one of the worst tornadoes we've had in our the last F5 that we've had um, in this part of the country actually happened in December 1957. Mm -hmm. So and not too far from, from where we're sitting here today. So, um, you know, unfortunately, in this part of the country, we're a threat for severe weather year round. But it's definitely one of those things where I don't think the public realizes um, just how vulnerable we really are even though we're in the getting into the cooler months. We've been going public with Christine Wilgus, the weather coordination meteorologist with the National Weather Service office in Paducah, Kentucky, as well as the senior forecaster in their office, Keith Cooley. To hear the full interview and other going public interviews, subscribe to the Going Public podcast at krcu.org.